Hello, I'm Richard Edgar and welcome to July's check-in with Fidelity's Chief Investment Officer, Andrew McCaffrey. This month, we talked about the new normal, the new ways of working at Fidelity and with clients and the companies the portfolio managers invest in. Also, the outlook for the third quarter, including the prospects or not of a relaxing break in August, what he expects from markets as the US election draws near, and the real increase in client interest in ESG since the start of the coronavirus outbreak. Here's my conversation with Andrew, recorded in the morning of Wednesday, the 8th of July. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Richard. Now, you and I are still talking to each other from our, our own homes in the UK, but a lot of the lockdown measures have been lifted in the European countries we work in, and many of our offices in Asia reopened their doors some weeks ago, although there are far fewer people than usual. So what I want to know is, how much is it um, business as usual at Fidelity, and what are the new normal for our operations around the world? I think uh, you know, we're already embracing um, you know, a business as, as usual uh, uh, approach, um, and that may have changed um, from where we were back in January and February, but it certainly has been pretty effective. Uh, you know, to your point that our colleagues in Asia, it's great to see that for many of them um, that they have uh, you know, got back into the office, that they're operating between office and work from home. But also importantly, uh, you know, many of them have been able to uh, you know, meet and discuss with clients, with companies that uh, where that's uh, appropriate. Uh, and we're you know, on site within a country that uh, uh, so that's working well in Europe. Again, more down to some of the degree to which you can engage with clients um, and to, to an extent with companies. But once again, really, we've got to be able to adjust because many companies and many investors actually have adjusted very rapidly to this new environment. And so are using virtual in much more of uh, their day-to-day business. Um, and so I think for us, the important thing is to uh, you know, adapt, um, still look for the, the insight and knowledge that um, you know, is so important in our due diligence process with the companies that we cover. Um, but again, I think the, the testament to the quality of um, uh, you know, our teams is that you know, output has stayed remarkably high. The amount of um, engagement has been you know, increased rather than decreased. And over time, I think that, you know, as we look around, um, you know, the areas that are still struggling, like the UK is only just opening up, uh, that we will see an increase in some of those, you know, direct, um, socially distanced, uh, you know, meetings, as well as the virtual meetings, um, you know, in the weeks and months ahead. I think that's something I've noticed as well, that um, productivity seems to have risen rather than fallen, perhaps because we're not, um, we're not traveling as much. But, um, but let's move on to uh, markets. And the pandemic um, really took hold in the West at the end of the first quarter. Could anyone have predicted then, Andrew, that um, the second quarter would have ended as it did? Um, I wrote down some um, statistics that were on a trading call this week. High yield and investment grade had their best quarters for over a decade. The Nasdaq had its best quarter for two decades. The S&P had its best quarter since 1998. And all prices rose at their fastest rate since the first Gulf War three decades ago. I mean, this did not seem to be on the agenda when we started these podcasts. No, it's been um, you know, a very impressive um, recovery. And uh, you know, Q2, as you've uh, just highlighted, Richard, you know, a uh, number of stats that can be rolled out for uh, how amazing they were, uh, you know, to match Q1, because they were pretty amazing stats as well in terms of the, uh, obviously the challenges and the downside for, uh, for many markets. I think if we just step back and that you know we're also at the end of the first half of the the year and just getting underway with a what I think will be another interesting half ahead. But you know to put in context that uh, you know we look at Q two great recovery, but on the year it's still been 
long-dated bonds that have outperformed. Um, it's been, uh, you know, the best risk-adjusted returns have actually been in gold and have been in things like um, investment-grade bonds and in tips. Uh, and I think the, the insights that's given to you is that, um, you know, still the, the profile of where ultimately, uh, you know, support has been provided in direct sense from what we saw from the authorities' uh, intervention, but also where money is um, uh, flowing. What are the concerns? Because I think it's really interesting that, you know, gold, I think very much a function of this expectation of negative real rates being created and then maintained and even more aggressively sought. Um, you know, tips is actually, uh, you know, a degree of a play to what we've seen happening, you know, with yields, but also uh, a degree of um, pickup in inflation expectations looking ahead. And that's been an interesting part of Q2 as well, that we've seen that some of the maybe, you know, inflation-linked trades, cyclical upswing, maybe a change in the environment have been getting a little bit of a tailwind as well. And I think that, you know, Q3 will be, uh, you know, an interesting one. Do those continue? Two, are they actually challenged? Uh, and I think the risk is that when we look at markets more broadly, that we have a few more um, uh, elements that will balance out the sort of uh, you know, impressive tailwinds of authorities' uh, liquidity and fiscal support and also the data that's recovered. But we're going to then see, I think, you know, politics, the ongoing stimulus that's required, how do you get out of stimulus into a more balanced economy, and actually how much follow-through is there to the economic bounce versus that being quite technical in nature. Let's talk about that intervention, the the, the stimulus um, from from the authorities, because um, it's it's obviously it's been so large, so dramatic, and really quite extraordinary numbers. And we've talked about it a lot. Now that we've seen it in action for for some time, is it working as it was intended? Is it working as the authorities hoped it would, as maybe you hoped it would? Uh, so, so I think the authorities would be um, uh, you know, very pleased um, because you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about the nature of that intervention creating a healing process. Um, and, you know, and that really was a sequence of events um, that we were seeing, you know, the liquidity uh, you know, improvements, which was both in the ability to trade, but also in funding levels. Um, in volatility and how that that uh, decline can allow you know risk to be taken again and sort of uh, you know slowing down some of the uh, the concerns just as two two areas you know they would be very happy with what they've seen in terms of the stabilisation um, I think the speed of the recovery for some of the uh, you know asset prices would have surprised them uh, as well um, but I think they would have generally been honestly you know, happy that this is creating the environment for confidence to be. Uh, you know, restored. The challenge now is that, is that confidence real and can it be followed through? And that, I think, comes down to the extent to which, uh, you know, the sort of bounce back in data, you know, does follow through. And actually, we see, you know, the ability to, um, uh, you know, reach levels that we were looking at as we came into 2020. I still think that is highly unlikely. Um, I think that we will see, you know, more challenges around they need to keep stimulus up. And that could be the next um, part where politics, especially in the US, you know, sort of come to um, uh, you know, markets concerns and the real economy style of recovery. Because the reality is, you know, when we think about how different economies have locked down, the US never really went into full lockdown. And so many activities were maintained. 
those activities may be more curtailed um, you know, in more recent um, weeks. And so you could see this sort of challenge around how uh, you know, some of the good data we've seen, actually expectations are now high. Those expectations may finally have not be met so uh, readily as we go into Q3. Sell in May and go away is um, a, a traditional maxim for, for investing, but that would have been a bad decision this year. Looking ahead into the into the third quarter, many listeners might have booked or rearranged a holiday for August, the quiet month of August. How much can investors relax over this summer? Are, are, are there any signs of stabilisation or um, would you be keeping watch for? Uh, so I think, you know, again, we've seen the stabilisation that uh, it's whether that can continue. I think there will be some challenges and therefore some renewed um, you know, potential for an extent of volatility. Um, but it's more about uh, you know, some of that clarification around now some of the expectations that we're, we're seeing. And I think that you know, we have an earnings season that we're just entering. Uh, we have, as I said, expectations are now pretty high. We have a need for more stimulus um, you know, to maintain the, uh, uh, you know, the environment that gives confidence that we can see you know, a robust, um, not just rebound, but follow through in activity into 2021. So I, I don't want to upset um, uh, you know, listeners, but I think that you know, they most probably still need to be sort of checking in, um, you know, even as they, uh, they head off to try and get some well-deserved proper rest in August. And amid that stabilisation, as you put it, how have investors reacted? Are you seeing um, you know, normal patterns um, of, of investing returning? Are there any particular parts of the world that are outperforming? So I think it was really uh, you know, Im- impressive to see how uh, the US um, continued to, to perform. Um, and again, the trends we came into uh, the, the pandemic period um, of uh, you know, real crisis that actually have continued um, beyond. So uh, the focus on to uh, the leaders in growth and the tech stocks, um, you know, very much in Q2 leading the, the way. But what was interesting was seeing how, from an investor point of view, we had I think a number of larger investors, uh, you know, through call options, through uh, you know other elements, try and keep exposure, but not aggressively moving um, portfolios. But it was amazing to see the return of retail, and especially some animal spirits in the U.S., where we've seen some extraordinary numbers through the the quarter. Um, but especially, fun enough, into June, um, where you know record volumes um, trading in call options and in stock activity from retail investors. A good example of that is someone like Ameritrade. So I, I won't talk to Fidelity's uh, direct activity, but they saw you know 8.6 times uh, you know as a multiple of normal activity um, you know through that uh, that period. Uh, these are sort of levels we haven't seen since the 1999-2000 you know technology bubble in terms of uh, you know um, participation, which is extraordinary. That didn't end well. Maybe we'll, we'll move on then, uh, unless you think that's something that we need to be um, uh, concerned about. So I think it's something that, um, uh, you know, one, it rather questions that this is an unloved um, bull market. It's actually very well loved. It's just by, you know, certain marginal participants, one would say, have been very active and so made a more than just a marginal impact. I think it's interesting to look around the world and see, is that happening elsewhere? And and most probably where, you know, we've been very... um, positive on as, a, as an area uh, you know has been Asia and China specifically that we've started to see signs where 
both um, the degree of domestic and international participation is increasing. So I think that actually could be interesting as it's more a reallocation from a range of investors, not just the retail participation. And so therefore, I think you know, that could prove to be a very important change. And finally, on, on markets, you know, we're a few months away from the election in the US. Um, the indications are so far that this is going to be a particularly um, vehemently fought one. Would you expect that to translate into more volatility in markets as we get closer to November? Um, so I think there's a uh, chance that it could. I think that those uh, you know, have been looking at a Biden um, presidency shouldn't be so concerned of how markets will respond um, to seeing uh, him getting into the White House, as I think some of the policies will not be anywhere near as um, severe as they could have been under Warren or Sanders. But there's likely to be a change in policy that would lead to some reviewing of uh, you know, how we view uh, the corporate profitability. But also, I think for technology, interesting, it is a little bit of one of those sort of grey swans. Um, we're going to see the heads of the major companies appear in front of um, you know, committees at the end of July. And you may find that this actually sort of raises the, uh, uh, the, the concern that uh, either regulatory or even tax take from these companies could be part of the sort of policy framework looking ahead. And that would be obviously a challenge for what has been the leaders for uh, this environment. Finally, there's, there's one aspect um, that has emerged very clearly through this um, pandemic, and that's um, a, an increase in awareness around environmental, social and governance issues, um, ESG, particularly the S, the social side of things. And we've noticed that, the, the analysts at Fidelity have noticed that in the companies in which Fidelity invests. Are you noticing um, a change or an increased awareness in um, the clients uh, that you're talking to as well and what they're asking for, even demanding in the way that um, their money is invested? Oh, yes, definitely. I think that we've seen um, a significant increase in the the interest and also as they start to analyse the, the data uh, with us um, and look across markets that uh, you know, the performance of uh, you know, those companies that have uh, you know, a much better and more framed approach to, uh, to sustainability, but also just the, uh, the sort of sense of resilience is also setting in that, you know, how companies have been able to, to manage through this period, how they look to be able to continue given different um, scenarios, different environments, you know, has become very important. So I think investors are looking at this very closely because those who are maybe a little bit more sceptical have seen, you know, performance from focusing on to, to this area. But I think also that they're seeing from state intervention, from the consequence of uh, you know, COVID-19, as you said, for, for very much social issues, but also not losing sight that climate change, again, coming back onto to the agenda, thinking through conditionality. And if I'm honest, you know, governance has always been about also some of the uh, uh, you know, areas there that make sure that we are keeping the focus on as people go through a process of trying to uh, you know, raise capital to manage their, their businesses in difficult times. I think all these have definitely moved up the priority, if not to be one of the top priorities for many investors. Challenge is how best to address this area. What are the key aspects in terms of um, uh, you know, philosophy from an investor point of view? And the opportunity for us is the way in which we've addressed this from a proprietary sense in our um, research analysis and to help them to be able to frame that in their portfolios in ways that make sense for um, what they're trying to achieve. Well, thanks very much indeed, Andrew. That brings us to the end of this CIO update. If you liked this episode, then I'd also recommend our sister podcast, Fidelity Answers. 
this event for the power industry is going to make it have a more green generation mix. Perhaps that change of tone will change thinking in US corporations. To try and get renewable sources to more than 50% by 2030, that shouldn't be underestimated. The episode we've just published explores in depth the future of the energy industry and is nominated for an award at the British Podcast Awards this coming weekend. Just search for Fidelity Answers in your podcast app. And you can also read the latest thinking from our investment teams at fidelityinternational.com. Steve Gardner produced and edited this podcast with production support from Maddie Fletcher and Alex Wilcox. From all of us, though, at Fidelity International, goodbye. This podcast is for investment professionals only and should not be relied on by private investors. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is intended only for the person or entities to which it is sent. It must not be reproduced or circulated to any other party without prior permission of fidelity. The value of investments can go down as well as up, so you may get back less than you invest. For other important legal notices, please see our website, professionals.fidelity.co.uk forward slash about hyphen fidelity.